Blog Talk Radio. Hello everybody, my name is Boss Rutten. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the Verbal Submission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Verbal Submission. I'm your host, Brian Hemminger, joined today by my fellow co-host, Richard Highlight Perry, and hopefully we'll be joined by Jerry Rodriguez uh, sometime down the road. You know, he's always fashionably late. And we have a fantastic show in store for you guys today. It is Sunday, January 31st, 2016, and we'll be joined in about 30 minutes by... UFC flyweight Ray Borg. He's fighting this Saturday night uh, against Justin Scoggins for UFC Fight Night 82. Previously, it was called UFC 196, but they uh, switched it over to a Fight Night event, airing it for free on uh, Fox Sports 1 after the injuries in the heavyweight title picture. Now, we will also be joined in about an hour by... Black Zillion's head grappling coach, Neil Melanson, one of our favorite guests that we ever have on the show. He was in the corner of Anthony Rumble Johnson last night in the main event of UFC on Fox 18. So we're getting a little bit of insight from him. And because uh, obviously Johnson was victorious, first round knockout over Ryan Bader and earned number one contender status in the light heavyweight division. He'll be facing the eventual winner of the uh, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier fight, which has yet to be announced. So, get all the pleasantries out of the way. Uh, let's bring in the co-host for the evening, Richard Highlight Perry. Richard, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, but uh, Jesus, Anthony Johnson is a terrifying human being. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I still cannot wrap my head around the fact that this guy used to fight at welterweight. And he went in there against Ryan Bader, who is a physical beast of a man, and he made him look... Like he didn't belong in the cage. It, I mean, it's, the it's way crazy. I put it in, and that uh, was a guy on like what a four or five fight win streak in the light heavyweight division. Um, yeah, but temper that a little bit with the consideration that his last uh, his last major loss, I believe, was to Cheeto Ortiz. So Bader has an issue with uh, was he kind of steps up, and he's always been improving. He's been constantly improving. But he always kind of steps up, and then somebody knocks him back down. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like he beat Chumps. I mean, his last four wins for Bader, these are good names. Feijau, OSP, Phil Davis, Rashad Evans, all in a row. I mean, he ran the gauntlet and and passed it. I mean, granted, they were all decisions. He really kind of hasn't been going out there and taking care of business like a lot of people thought. He even decisioned Anthony Peroche, of all people, to start the winning streak. But uh, he just goes in there against Anthony Johnson, and he's out cold in 90 seconds. And it wasn't even from stand-up strikes. I think that's what impressed people the most, was the fact well, that... Well, I mean, it, yeah. it, it was a really... I don't use the same takedown 
on Anthony Johnson as you would on James Tony. It's just not a smart idea. <laughs> well, people have attempted takedowns on Anthony Johnson before. It worked with Daniel Cormier, but I think he is a different type of wrestler and grinder than Ryan Bader. And even he got knocked down in the first, like, ten seconds of the fight. So, I don't know. It's just wild. And uh, uh, another thing to consider about Anthony Johnson is he, he if you remember way back in uh, 2011, he fought Charlie Brenham, which is just, oh, yeah. my God. I can't believe that's a fight that happened. Did you do you remember that fight? I mean, it was disgusting. I think Charlie Brenneman got knocked down two or three times, and the last time, I mean, he pops up right away, and the ref's like, "Nope, we're gonna we're not gonna let this continue anymore. You've had enough, Charlie." <laughs> like, oh, that poor well, bastard. Well, Charlie Brenneman last night tweeted right after the um, the beta knockout. Um, his girlfriend apparently turned to him on the couch while they were watching and went, hey, will you see him again? And Charlie was like, no, not, not, no. <laughs> Let me look something up real quick. Um, I want to see if Charlie Brenneman lasted longer against Anthony Johnson than Ryan Bader did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, 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 lasted, did. Uh, he lasted almost three minutes. Yeah. And Vader was one. He lasted twice as long, pretty much. Good for exactly. Charlie. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. It's a feather in the cap of Charlie Brenneman. He can. He's retired now, I believe, and uh, yeah, he can think that to his grave if he can remember it. Plus, he won pros versus Joes. <laughs> That's a good point. That, that will always be a feather in Charlie Brenneman's cap. So. There's a lot of stuff to talk about from uh, last night's event, so let's just get right down to the nitty-gritty. Obviously, Ryan Bader, Anthony Johnson. Honestly, there's not much more to say. Bader immediately shot in for a takedown. Johnson stuffed it, got on top of him, and then the second he had some space, just full mount, then just started blasting him, and it was over. Um, But there's a lot of stuff to talk about that happened on that card overall. I think, obviously, the thing that everybody's talking about right now is... Stage Northcutt losing. I mean, this guy is the golden child. Dana White, you know, hyping him up like crazy. Fighters were legitimately super pissed when they saw how much money this kid was making. You know, because he got, what, 40000 to show, 40000 to win in just his second UFC fight. And um, he's on the main card of Fox, Network Fox. So, obviously, they're showcasing him. And then, boom, Brian Barberina goes out there, weathers the early storm, gets on top of him in the second round, and then chokes him out from the opposite side in half guard for an arm triangle. So Sage is getting a lot of heat right now for uh, not just that he lost, but the fact of how he lost. So since you're a little bit more adept in the the grappling arts, I want to get your take on what happened there. Well, you know, temper the hate a little bit. And I actually came into this uh, kind of expecting Jerry to rant for like 45 minutes on it. But um, <laughs> you, you've got to remember, he's 19 years old. Um, yep. You know, he's only a purple belt. But what you've got to take into consideration 
is that he's probably been the most physically dominant person in every gym he's ever been in. Um, and being out there at the pro level um, and then getting a, a choke like that locked up, uh, I think what happened is he either panicked um, when, he felt the, when he felt some of the pressure um, and he probably felt his neck popping and, and just like really scary sounds when you're not super used to it and tapped because he didn't, he didn't want a neck injury. Um, either, or, um, and, and this is probably pretty unlikely, is that Barbarina's got like an un, uh, uh, otherworldly level of squeeze. Um, you know, I, I would say the only person I could think of in the UFC that could squeeze like that, you know, really, would probably be Jacare. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, Barbarina is not Jacare. Um, but... You know, when you have somebody with not a whole lot of miles in the, in the cage, and honestly, probably not a whole lot of miles being on the bottom, on the mat, I, I, can, I can get uh, the, the, instinct, the instinct panic, which is what lost him to fight more than a choke. Yeah, and, and I could totally understand that. I actually made some money on that fight. Um, Sage Northcutt. Um, was a big favorite, a betting favorite, and my boss actually recommended that people do a half-unit bet on Brian Barberina because he felt that you know this was a lot bigger of a test for Sage than people were giving credit for, even if Barberina was taking the fight on like eight days' notice. And because uh, Barberina's faced some pretty tough people, he's an MMA lab guy, and you know I don't think people were giving him uh, you know his his due, and. I uh, the thing that stood out to me was there was do you know what live betting is Rich? Yeah, it's when um, when you're betting during the fight. Um, yes. So that's yeah, what I did. Um, so Barbarina was a plus two seventy five underdog before the fight started. About so that means if you bet a hundred on him, you can profit two hundred seventy five if he wins. And at right and if you remember during the fight. Sage was pretty much in control for the first round, but he started to slow down at the end of the first, and then Barbarina actually got on top of him right at the end of the first round. And I was like, man, you know, I think Sage could be in trouble. So I go and check the live betting in between rounds, and Sage is plus 400, or uh, Barbarina is plus 400. And I went, yes, please. <laughs> well, so. I think, that was, I think, and then two minutes later, it's over, and he's and he wins, and I was so happy. <laughs> um, I think this is going to be Sage's kryptonite. He he really does need to, and people forget that, you know, Sage is doing all these media appearances, and he's actually going to college and being a professional mixed martial artist. Um, he really needs to just either just completely dedicate himself um, or find somebody like TriStar, which I know that's where he's been training, where he can get people that'll put forward a really, really heavy uh, pressure fighter, wrestler, you know, combination to, um, to kind of patch up his game because um, that's what's going to, it's going to take to beat him. You need someone mm-hmm. who's going to walk forward, walk right through those side kicks, 
put him against the cage, put him on his ass, and, and make his night miserable. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, that was something that we've already seen from the Cody Fister fight is, you know, if he's facing somebody that can get on top of him and has decent top control, he doesn't really show very good ability to get back to his feet, to, to sweep, to scramble, to submit uh, when he's in that position. I mean, I mean, he did grab a guillotine choke in the second round against Fister, but that's more on Fister for just diving in neck first because he was so eager to get a takedown. But I think, you know, Sage definitely has a lot of stuff that he needs to work on. I'm, I'm not going to give up on him. I still think he's a talented kid. He's an athletic freak absolute athletic freak. He is capable of doing things that really hardly anybody else in the sport can do. So I think as he continues to develop his skills and, you know, gets a little more battle hardened, he's still going to be a huge threat. I mean, I think somebody brought up an interesting uh, comparison and, and I, I don't want this to get blown out of proportion, but we were like, you know, when Conor McGregor was starting his career, he was getting submitted easily too. Uh, and, you know, look at the Joe Duffy fight where McGregor lost in, like, less than a minute. So, And uh, um, one, other, one other thing to consider about uh, Sage, you mentioned that he's an athletic freak. You can't mm-hmm. teach that. You know, yeah. nobody, you know, yeah, you can't is. go to, I could not go to a gym and work out 20 years and look anywhere near the way he looked. Um, you know, he really does look like, a guy in every early 90s skiing movie that just tries to steal your girlfriend right in front of you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. He he definitely does. I mean, if this was a, a bodybuilding contest, he would have absolutely slaughtered Brian Barberina. It wasn't even close. But, you know, it was a fight. And uh, the second that Sage started to, to slow down a little bit, Barberina capitalized. And I think... It wouldn't shock me that, you know, some of those muscles are, you know, not necessary that Sage has. You know, it looks good, but, you know, how how much better do do some fighters get when they drop their muscle, uh, when they're, you know, just bulky and overloaded? I mean, they they look intimidating, but you don't – there's a lot of muscles that people have that they don't need. I mean, you look at Brock Lesnar when he first started fighting compared to – um, you know, when he was actually the, the champ, you know, he dropped a lot of muscle like he, to the point where he wasn't having to cut, hardly cut weight to make the heavyweight limit anymore. So uh, A counter-argument to that, Joel Romero is, just has muscles in places that they don't even really exist on normal human beings, and he can pick well, somebody up by the ankle and flip them over. So that's because that he's, like, that. taking horse tranquilizers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to kind of move on from Sage Northcutt, as as I'm sure 90% of everybody in uh, MMA media. um, And I want to talk about how good Jimmy Rivera looked. Yes. I am a huge fan of Jimmy Rivera. I actually thought that he was going to lose his last fight to Pedro Munoz. And because I thought that that I was like, why are they matching these guys up against each other? These are two insane prospects. You know, Rivera's a great one out of the, the East Coast, and then you've got Munoz, who trains over at Kings on the West Coast, and these guys are two of the better bantamweight prospects on the entire roster. Why are they doing that? And they end up having one of the best fights of 2015, just a slobber-knocker war. But Rivera came out on top. I mean, he 
showed an amazing grit in that fight. And I went, this guy is somebody to keep an eye on. And I knew that in that Alcantara fight, unless Alcantara landed that basically home run punch, because that's all he looked for pretty much the whole fight was either a knockout, a big knockout punch or a big knockout knee up the middle. If, unless that landed and he put Rivera out cold, he was going to lose that fight. And that's exactly what happened. Like he just could not, he just sat back and let Rivera dictate everything. And Rivera was able to throw combinations, land good jabs, and then he would close off the first two rounds with takedowns. So, I mean, he did a fantastic job. I am super impressed with that kid. I think he's won 18 fights in a row now. And and he wasn't ranked. uh, I actually, I have him ranked, but he was not ranked in uh, the UFC Bantamweight rankings. He's not even in the top 15. Let me check what I had him on my UFC rankings because I'm uh, on the panel. I, I already had him at 11, and he wasn't even in the top 15 yet overall. So I think I actually moved him up to number 10 or 9 after that fight. I moved him past... Uh, Frankie or past Brian Caraway. So which makes sense. Um Brian Caraway's kind of ranked pretty high for, for what he's done anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um I I do wanna say though the one thing that scares me about Jimmy Rivera, he doesn't have the best defense. Um there yeah. were a couple of times where um where he got tagged and they were huge shots. But um just because uh Yuri is just so fucking long, and, and Jimmy Rivera is the same height as me, you know, he has like T-Rex arms for the division, which is already a tiny division, um, he got tagged a couple of times, actually, uh, I was tweeting during the fight, you know, I go, um, Jimmy Rivera is going to get tagged in a minute, and 30 seconds later, he gets dropped, um, I'm not a big fan of the hands up at all times, that doesn't work for everybody, and, um, there's an argument to be made that having your hand, you know, kind of below your elbows um, makes for a more unpredictable offense because uh, you can't see the angles. That, uh, you can't see the punches because you're coming up at weird kind of a line of that angle. Um, but he really needs to kind of figure out his defense and, and mm-hmm. where he wants to go with it. Yeah, because his offense is great. I mean, he is able to get in there and land about two or three for each one that his opponent lands if he's able to keep the kind of pace that he likes to keep. So I think, yeah, he's he's Um, doing the right things, and I think that he might have to take a a harsh lesson, a harsh lesson from a, a really good striker at some point, but... I still think that he's on the right path right now because right now, in terms of the the division in at bantamweight, right now the only people I see like easily outstriking him in just a one on one battle are like I think maybe you know Thomas Almeida, Dillashaw, and Cruz. I think those four, those three would definitely win a stand up fight with him. But after that, I, I think I he can hold add- his own. I, I have to add two people to that list. Uh, okay, Francisco let's hear Francisco Rivera. Uh, Francisco yeah. Rivera would be, uh, that would be an amazing fight. I don't know that Rivera takes it, but uh, Francisco Rivera versus Jimmy Rivera would be fucking amazing. Uh, if um, if uh, Francisco wins I would, I, I'm, fight, I'm talking technical striking, though, and Rivera's more of a bomber. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, that, that would remind me a lot of the Alcantara fight, except 
Rivera doesn't have Alcantara's reach. Um, I, same thing with Lineker. Uh, the Lineker uh, versus uh, Jim Rivera would be a, just a war. It would be amazing. I think it would, although I think the biggest difference is I, I think I don't think Lineker, uh, Rivera's chin would hold up if he got into a slugfest with those guys. So, no, no, it would not. That would be the harsh lesson to talk mm-hmm. about. But that being said, I am super impressed with Jimmy Rivera. I think that he is a top talent, and I cannot wait to see him again. And there is another guy on that main card that we have to talk about, and that is Big Ben Rothwell goes out there and doesn't just beat Josh Barnett, submits him. He fucking submitted Josh Barnett, who, if I'm just double-checking to make sure, had only submission in his entire career was a shoulder injury to Mirko Prokop. So he never actually realistically been submitted before. It's amazing. He's been submitted before. Uh, he's been submitted before this. There was one other submission that that he got, he got the shoulder injury, which you mentioned, and then uh, again, punches. Uh, the punches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I guess you're right. He never, he never actually, yeah. In submission grappling, he had been submitted. So that, like in 2000, uh, Ricardo Almeida and Mark Kerr both submitted him. But that was 15 years ago, and it was in uh, the ADCCs. So and it, uh, it was Mark Kerr and Ricardo uh, Almeida. So yeah. no shame for either of those people submitting it. Mm-hmm. So this is just nuts to me that that of for anybody submitting Josh Barnett that it would be Ben Rothwell. Like where did this come from? Like this guy, I'm I'm just double checking his last two fights. He's won by the exact same choke, the go go choke. It's like a modified guillotine, I believe. And I'm trying to think of the last time he submitted anybody. Before that, like legit submit, not like from elbows or punches or something. And it Travis was, two, yeah, Travis Fulton, 2007. And and those were like Kimuras and stuff, you know, strongman submissions where you just get on top of people and just push your body weight and then just crank, you know, Kimuras, Americanas and stuff. Like when was the last time he choked somebody? I don't know if he ever did. Uh, forearm I, choke, 2002. And that's okay. another... That's another Curtis Crawford. Um, yeah, forearm stroke. Yeah, you just kind of put your forearm over their throat and just press it down, don't you? Yeah. Um, it, it or like just, just press it, on their the side of their neck and just. No, it's just it's it's almost like um, I I hate to ape Joe Rogan, but um, remember when we were talking about wandering over him in the rape choke? The rape choke. Like that. Yeah, but um, you use the blade of the forearm, and then you just push it in as hard as you can. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the biggest asshole submission, but it yeah. fucking works when you're 265 pounds. Yeah, exactly. So his last, yeah. like, regular submission from a choke or something was a forearm choke in 2002. And if you want to go even further than that and say that that wasn't technical enough, he did get an arm triangle in 2001. And somehow this guy is tapping out Josh Barnett with a go-go choke in 2016. My mind is blown right now. Just like, where is this coming from? Seriously. 
Like, did, well, did he just start? What What is he doing? Well, what, he really started improving around uh, 2011 um, when he opened his own gym, Rockwell uh, MMA. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm willing to bet it really forced him to get way, way, way more technical because it's really easy to just, when you're 265 pounds, just grown man strength your way out of everything. Not when the other person you're, you're grappling with is 265 pounds, but I guarantee you Ben is the biggest guy in his gym. But when you're teaching, you can't teach somebody be really fucking big. That's not something that you, know, some, you can show somebody how to do. So he had to learn some skills. And he did, and it's paying off. Four-fight winning streak right now. I still, obviously, Stipe for me is ahead of him in the title shot. And depending on how long Kane's out after having some back surgery, they might still just do um, Stipe versus Verdum instead of Verdum versus Kane uh, for the the next time they they try to make the, the heavyweight title happen. But, man... I I have to give major props to to Ben to Ben Rothwell. I mean, and it's not like he's beating chumps either. Just like Ryan Bader being on that crazy winning streak, Ben Rothwell has now beat Alistair Overy, Matt Mitrione, and Josh Barnett by stoppage in all three. And and if you throw in Brandon Vera, the start of his winning streak, I was actually there for that one. That fight was hilarious. Like it was so <laughs> slow paced, and Brandon Vera was like trying to use his length and throw kicks and dance around, and then just. Rothwell just got pissed, and finally he's just like, <laughs> screw it, and he just starts charging at him like a freaking wild man, and then he just catches Vera with one crazy swing and hurts him, and they just start beating on him like Donkey Kong, and just, and then it's over, and, and then he just gets up and just goes crazy, and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is just absolutely bananas, but I love it. So, you know, good for yeah. him. And I'm, I'm I'm happy that he picked up the win. I actually bet on Josh Barnett. I thought that Barnett would use some technical striking. I thought he'd clinch. I thought he'd get the fight to the floor. You know, I, I, I always go back to Rothwell getting choked cold standing against Gabriel Gonzaga and thinking, you know, if of course, you know, Barnett is going to tap him out too or, you know, put him out cold. And it just didn't happen. So I got to I gotta yeah. give – uh, the respect where it's due. And I do want to mention, uh, you know, he's calling it, uh, you know, the go-go choke. Um, it's actually almost like a, like a, a, a modified 10-figure uh, guillotine, um, but instead of using the arms to trap the back of the head, you use the chest. And um, one thing notable about that choke is that was a fucking crazy neck crank as well. That was not a gentle choke. Um, mm-hmm. Barnett does not tap super fast most of the time when you watch his uh, his, uh, his grappling contest. But yeah. man, he, that his neck was gonna he was gonna be like another two inches taller if he didn't tap right away. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that looked painful and it's definitely effective. I mean, you remember how fast Matt Mitrione tapped when he like dove into it on his takedown? Yeah, yes, so, I do. I think uh, people are going to be uh, taking a lesson from this is uh, quit trying to take Ben Rothwell down. How hilarious would it be if, you know, they decide to make Kane work for it and have him fight Ben Rothwell in a rematch, number one contender, and Kane shoots in for a takedown and gets go-go'd? 
That would be amazing. And it would be great for uh, for Rockwell because you get to finally avenge your loss he's had. Yeah, and, and if, you, do, if you remember that fight, Rothwell was on the ground, Kane started throwing punches at him, and Rothwell was standing up from getting punched and looking more annoyed than anything, and the ref jumps in and stops it. Yeah, that was kind of a, <laughs> he a was weird stoppage. He was pissed. <laughs> oh, man. So, well, um, yep. I believe you have to go grab Ray Borg shortly. Yep, in about a minute. So Okay. Uh, um, I guess before I go get Borg... Um, did you agree with the performance of the night bonuses getting handed out? I mean, they went to Rothwell, they went to Anthony Johnson, and what was your fight of the night before I, I don't know if you know what the actual fight of the night was, but I'll tell you, but what was your fight of the night? My fight of the night was the Rivera fight. Full disclosure, I missed most of the prelims because I had to work most of the day. Uh, So, uh, yeah, and I missed correct. the Randy Brown Rivera fight. Alcantara was Fight of the Night awarded. Okay, so good. You nailed I, it. I really dislike when the main carders get get all of the bonuses, though. I really mm-hmm. would like... You know what, though? The main card deserved it because it was not very good fights. Uh, the first four fights were pretty bad. I mean, uh, Tony Martins was okay, but Damon Jackson Mockishvili was terrible. Randy Brown, Matt Dwyer was slow-paced early, and Brown started to turn it up, but, I mean, it still wasn't anything crazy. Cesaris Fullen was just Cesaris, you know, taking control. Uh, Yakovlev just blistered Sullivan out of nowhere. Um, and then Hayes put on a clinic against Ortiz. It was one-sided. Natal was pretty one-sided against Kevin Casey. Ferreira won the whole fight against Mercier, pretty much. And Safadine was relatively one-sided against Ellenberger, so you almost had to go Rivera Alcantara. I just wish it was just something set aside where the UFC went, okay, we're going to give away three, uh, three bonuses, um, two, put a, two, uh, two guaranteed to the whole card, and then one just set aside for the prelims. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would really yeah. encourage they're, they're the guys usually on the pretty, They're usually pretty fair about it. It's just this time around, the, the most... Crazy, the craziest shit that happened was all in the main card, so they deserved it. Oh yeah, I don't think and I don't think he took nice. anything by us. No. All right. Well, uh, just I guess keep the, the the masses entertained while I go get uh, Ray Borg on the line. I'll I'll leave the the topic up to you. Okay. Uh, Ray Borg is going to be fighting on uh, February fifth. Uh, fight at eighty two. Um, he's scheduled to face Justin Scoggins. Um, and Scoggins is uh, coming off of a win over Josh Sampo uh, back in May of uh, 2015. So it's going to be a little bit under a year when uh, when he makes his return to fight Wayboard. Um, and um, I'm really looking forward to this fight. I love watching um, the 125-pound fighters. Um, Wayboard, I, I can't remember a bad fight he's ever been in. Um, I also think he beat Dustin Ortiz, um, you know, who lost last night. And me and uh, Brian were talking before the show about the rankings. We think that Borg, even uh, even having not fought, is probably going to leapfrog up the rankings. Um, probably going to be ranked 9 or 10. Right now he's ranked 11 with Ali Babu and Dustin Ortiz at uh, 9 and 10. 
And uh, Zach uh, Funsize at 8. Brian's back. I am. Thank you very much for holding the fort down, Richard. Now, we are extremely proud to introduce our first guest for tonight's show. He is fighting this weekend, UFC Fight Night 82, taking on Justin Scoggins. Ray, the Tez-Mexican Devil Borg. Welcome back to the Verbal Submission, Ray. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a, an absolute honor to have you back on, Ray. Now, uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about, and you actually made a, uh, an appearance recently on Sam Alvey's podcast. Now, um, that had to be interesting because Sam had a broken jaw during that appearance. So, like, you could you could could you could you tell from talking to him because he was like like talking through like his teeth like not moving. Yeah, it was. They actually let me know beforehand that he oh, okay. had a broken jaw, and then you know, plus I had seen some things on the media over time, so you mm-hmm. know, it kind of put two and two together. Yeah, so I was, and uh, you do seem like the type of guy that really you know stays plugged into that kind of stuff. Like they were asking you about you know your thoughts on other fights, and you were breaking guys down. Like like you just you seem like a, a guy that's a, a student of the game. Is would that be a good characterization? Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm the student of the game. You know, the um, mixed martial arts mixed martial arts isn't just my job. You know, it's it's also my life. It's something that I enjoy inside and outside the cage. So yeah, I can say I guess you could say I'm a student of the art. Oh, okay. Now, uh, the the reason I ask is you were posting a lot of stuff uh maybe in the last couple of weeks about Dominic Cruz making his comeback like you were so impressed with his performance him coming back and winning the title you were so excited to see him back in the cage you know what is it that kind of draws you to uh, Dominic Cruz cuz you guys don't really have that similar of a fighting style you know um Dominic's uh Dominic is also from my hometown of Tucson Arizona so you know mm-hmm. kind of that Arizona pride you know, type deal. But also, you know, Dominic Cruz is someone who I've looked up to for a very long time, way before I was even probably a professional martial artist. He's He's been one of my uh, my favorite fighters to watch over the years, so it was really, really awesome to see him come back from such awful injuries and be able to reclaim his title. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever had a chance to uh, work with him? No, I've never had a chance to work with Dominic. I, I believe... By the time I even started to get into MMA, I was training here in New Mexico, and he was training, uh, you know, obviously at his gym alliance MMA. Mm-hmm. Well, our next guest, who's coming on in about half an hour, uh, Neil Melanson, he is a good, close, personal friend and trainer with uh, Dominic Cruz. So if you want an in, I can totally hook you up. Like just, just a 10-minute just a session or something with him. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's something that would that would be pretty pretty cool, man. But but you know I, I got he's pretty far travel for me. Yeah, that's true. Now um, now speaking of, we were talking about last night's fights before you got on. Now you actually had some pretty interesting things to say about Sage Northcutt, and they ended up being pretty prophetic, saying you know he hasn't been tested, uh, he hasn't been pushed, and you know he things could happen. Uh, that wouldn't be good for him the, the second that somebody really pushes him that's not just an athlete in there. And it happened. You know, Brian Barberina, another guy training out of the Arizona area uh, at the MMA lab, and 
he goes out there and beats Sage Northcutt by submission in the second round. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that since you've been uh, pretty opinionated on Sage. Yeah, you know, I uh, I guess you could say it showed it showed perfectly um, that uh, I, I guess I, I called another one. I feel like I've actually been calling a lot of things lately. I'm like, dang, I guess I really know my shit type stuff. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely said that Northcutt, he's a he, – no, not saying that he doesn't have potential in the sport because obviously he does. He's only 19. But he was being brought up to be this new George St. Pierre or – However they were labeling him and were trying to market him. And I just knew right off the bat, just from hearing him talk, seeing him on TV, I mean, I feel like for being such a young guy, I'm pretty dang good at reading people and things. So I knew I read that situation right away that as soon as he, as soon as he was put up against someone who wasn't just going to fold or be scared of his kicks, he was going to, you know, he was probably going to be broken pretty easily in his show because that wasn't even a good submission to the dude was still working on it, and he ended up tapping. So I guess I called that one as well. Yeah, that's something I was talking about with Richard here because Richard's got some grappling experience, and I was just surprised. It looked like he was on the other side, the opposite side of what you usually go for with an arm triangle, and he was still in half guard, and you almost always go to side control to really uh, squeeze it and, and put the, the leverage. So and then he got the tap. So. Um, very, very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm inter- glad that you uh, pointed it out as well. Now, you mentioned that you've uh, been very prophetic lately. What were some other things that you called? Oh, you know, just, I, I guess you could say just different fights, like the Demetrius and uh, Dotson fight, I called mm-hmm. that fight out perfect, oh, yeah. and also, you know, same thing with the, the McGregor and Aldo fight, hell, even the, the Rockhold and uh, Weidman fight. You probably picked uh, Dominic to be Dillashaw, too, didn't you? You know, that one, uh, I was trying not to have a biased standpoint, because mm-hmm. just because of their, I mean, their styles aren't exactly the same, but their footwork have a lot of similarities. So for that one, I was going I was going for Dominic, but that one was kind of up in the air for me. I couldn't really call it, but I thought if it did go any type of way, Dominic would end up winning the decision. Now, this... Uh, Brings me to an interesting question because we've actually had some debate on that result uh, on the show. I personally thought that Dominic won, you know, maybe two rounds. I thought that Dillashaw came on strong late, and it was his like big power shots that was more were more effective than Cruz's defense and speed and movement. But uh, my my co-host thought that uh, Cruz won the first three rounds. So I was wondering, what was your take when you saw it live? When I saw when I saw that fight live, I mean, to be honest, sometimes in order to really see things and catch things maybe that I missed the first time I watched it, generally I have to watch the fight a couple times or, mm-hmm. you know, two like two times. And I haven't gone back and rewatched that fight, but it was a close fight. I mean, I w- to be honest, I don't think I would have been mad if it would have went to uh, Dillashaw. But I do believe that Nick was the aggressor for a while. And uh, scored some really nice takedowns, really great time takedowns. But you know, like you said, TJ came on later and it came on in the later rounds, and he was he was hitting Dominic a little bit more than probably people normally hit him. So I think I have to go back and rewatch it to to justify if I would for sure give it to Dominic. But you know, at the time I thought Dominic had won. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's fair. Completely fair. And I can totally stand by anybody saying Dominic won. Like, I thought the fight was crazy close. Um, now, there's a question here from my co-host, and I'll try to relate it to what's going on with you right now anyway. Um, there's an opponent that you and uh, Justin Scoggins, your upcoming opponent, both had in common, Justin uh, Dustin Ortiz. And he fought last night, and it was really surprising that he got outstruck by uh, Wilson Hayes, at least to me. And, uh, you know, he didn't look very good. And considering how good he performed for the most part in his UFC career and how close his fight was with you, which I did score for you, by the way, just throwing out my bias, um, you know, what did you think of what happened there last night against Hayes? Um, I was actually um, at a at an archery shoot last night when that uh, fight okay. went down, so I didn't... So I didn't catch the fight, but I saw the highlights and I, you know, obviously heard the outcome. But I actually was very surprised. I mean, that I, I really thought that Ortiz was going to beat him. I felt like Wilson, you know, Wilson's a good opponent, but I didn't think that Dustin was going to lose to him at all. And then I watched the highlights that I watched. It kind of kind of seemed like Wilson was taking a portion out of, you know, the way I fought him by pressuring him up against the fence with takedowns. I mean, from what I heard, he took him down quite a few times. So I was, I was fairly shocked, but it kind of it's kind of nice. It kind of shakes things up in the flyweight division. Who knows, mm-hmm. maybe after I beat Scoggins, I can face Wilson. Yeah, I was thinking the, the same thing, that that could be a, a really intriguing future opponent for you. Now, uh, let's get it back to um, more modern what's going on with you. You've mentioned that Justin Scoggins is a fight that you've wanted for a while. So what is it about him that, uh, you know, that you had your eye on him? Uh, I've I've wanted to fight Scoggins because Scoggins brings the fight. I mean, I feel like in order for me to showcase my striking the way I want to, someone's going to have to bring it out of me. And, but that's, you know, the main reason why I wanted to fight Scoggins is because I want to test myself. And I said it before in previous interviews, the way I want to test myself isn't by, you know, seeing how much punishment I can endure, seeing how many knees I can take. You know, that not I'm not talking testing my toughness. I know how tough I am. I'm I'm interested in this fight because I want to test my knowledge of the sport and you know my my all around mixed martial arts game by going in there against someone who has such a different style. You know, he's got his karate style and plus he's southpaw. So. More than anything, I want to test my knowledge of the sport by being able to go in there and beat any style opponent. Oh, definitely. And something that surprised me about Scoggins, at least, is, you know, watching all of his highlights before he entered the UFC, it was just all about the kicking game, and he was so quick and dangerous and all about the striking. And for the most part, since he's been in the UFC, it's been all about his ground game and shooting in for takedowns, trying to beat people up, going for submissions, looking for the TKO, ground and pound, even uh, diving into a guillotine choke against Dustin Ortiz. So are you are you surprised a little bit that somebody as dynamic a striker as him has been so ground-focused in his uh, UFC career? No, I think he's uh, I think he's just kind of, I guess you could say to me, he's just trying to, He's just trying to show that he's a, an all-around mixed martial artist, which, you know, he brings a lot to the table in every aspect, but I don't think his ground game's up to my level. I feel like I'll I'll be in there, you know, 10 out of 10 times. I do feel like he's going to, you know, give me a little bit of trouble on the ground, but it's going to be fun. 
trouble that's going to be scrambled, and that's the kind of stuff that's actually fun to me is when someone's scrambling around with me. But he's I, that's one thing that I knew for sure that was going to be fun right off the bat. Ever since I first saw him fight in the UFC was, you know, he, he's, a little, he's scrappy, he's scrambly, so it, you know, it, it didn't take me by surprise that he has a, you know, he's trying to show his ground game. I mean, hell, I'm... Sooner or later, there's going to be a fight where I'm trying to show my my stand-up, and then you know people might be asking me, asking other opponents if they're surprised on how much I've been standing up, given I'm a grappler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, a, a label that's been given to both you and Scoggins repeatedly has been prospect, and I'm sure at some point you're like, you know what, quit calling me a prospect. You know, I want to be a legit contender. I want to be a threat. So do you think that this could be the fight that people quit calling you Rayborg the prospect and call you Rayborg the contender if you go out there and, and do what you think you can accomplish? You know, that's actually very funny that you say that because everyone's asking me about this fight and my plans and hopes out of this fight, and I've told them that exactly. You know, I feel like even though he's not ranked, he's a tough opponent. He's had tough tough fights in the UFC, so I definitely feel after I beat Scoggin it's going to propel me from a prospect to a contender, and then I'll start to get those tougher fights. And then after those tougher fights, then I'll start leading into title elimination fights. So, yeah, I definitely feel like Scoggins is going to be that fight that propels me to a contender. Oh, wonderful. Now, the the last time you had your fight against Herrera, you had a, a bit of a tough weight cut, missed weight by about less than a pound, I mean .75, but you mentioned uh, you'd been adding on a lot of muscle, maybe some things with your diet that weren't perfect. What have you done differently this time around, or do you think that that was just a, you know, an, an outlier that that wasn't that, that couldn't happen again? Um, you know, I, I've I've definitely changed some things up. Uh, mainly my post-fight dieting. I've made sure that, like, uh, my biggest habit is I come from a Mexican, Mexican background, Mexican style raising. So my favorite types of everyday foods are sopapillas and tacos and things like that. So, you know, sometimes I let myself get a little too high on weight post, you know, post fight. So that was one thing. One of the biggest things was making sure I didn't let my body get too heavy. So that way, when I did have a situation like Carrera again, which pretty much is happening where I get the fight, say five weeks notice, I got to make sure my weight's on point. So, you know, I've I've cleaned up my diet very well. I've made sure I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. You know, that's one thing about me is no matter what it is, I never make the same mistake twice. So, I, you know, you guys can definitely count on me on to be on weight. Oh, wonderful. Definitely glad to hear it. Now, uh, <laughs> my co-host Jerry is uh, back from work. He's got goofy questions about drug lords. Um, I don't think uh, that really matters in the, the, the fight business, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned that you had uh, left archery uh, before yesterday uh, during the, the prelims, and that was actually something I was planning to ask you about because uh, you look at your Twitter account, you've got a lot, or Instagram, you've got a lot of stuff with uh, you going to the archery range and doing some target shooting. So, you know, how long have you been doing that? Has that been something that you've been doing for a while, or is that something you just kind of discovered recently and fell in love with it? No, I've been a. Uh... Well, I guess the the thing, the newer thing to me lately is um, competition shooting. But I've been hunting since I've been an outdoors person for pretty much all my life, and I've always mm-hmm. been a hunter and you know been been archery hunting for a while. But yeah, lately, me, my fiance, my younger brother have 
definitely been getting into some competition shooting. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I had to miss my deer hunt this year because I was getting ready to fight Scoggins. But, you know, hopefully next year I can, or this upcoming year in the fall, I can, you know, bring home a, a deer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went out deer hunting this year on opening day, and I didn't see a damn thing. It was freezing, too, because I'm in Ohio. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's got to be a bummer. So that sucked. And when I was little, uh, we, you know, bow season lasts way longer than gun season in Ohio. So, uh, and I was just too much of a sissy to use a longbow or regular bow because I couldn't pull it back. So I had a little crossbow. So what's your opinion on people that use crossbows? Are they cheating? Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you if they're cheating or not because I've actually, I mean, who knows? It could be more difficult than a normal bow. But I've actually never shot a crossbow before. Oh, okay. So I guess uh, you'll have to find out. I mean, it's basically just like aiming a gun almost. It's already pulled back for you. You just got to point and shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Richard, do you have any uh, last things here for Ray? Uh, I do not. Thank you, though. Uh, okay, no problem, no problem. All right, well, a uh, couple last things for me, at least. Um, one thing we always like to to ask our guests is, you know, when they're visualizing success and thinking about the fight and thinking about victory, you know, what do you see when you think about that? Um, When I think about victory, like, I think about... Like against you know, uh, Scott Gibbs, yeah. Uh, I see my victory against Goggins being bittersweet, you know. He he's I hear he talks a lot of trash on Twitter or he's saying that he's gonna, you know, completely destroy me and things like that and when he it's gonna be, you know, even more sweet because when people have to do that, it's just showing that they you know, he has to he's trying to pump himself up somehow, some way to get himself motivated to try and beat me. I know deep down in my heart that I'm going to beat him and that one day I am going to be you know, the champion, no matter how many tries it takes. So I visualize this victory as very, very sweet and, you know, propelling. Uh, that's definitely how I feel this victory is going to be, is propelling not only in the division, you know, but also in life. I feel like this victory is going to do a lot for me. Oh, excellent. And since you've been so good with your predictions, do you have any crazy predictions on something that's going to happen in the world in mixed martial arts in 2016? Um, CM Punk might actually make a UFC debut. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure, but uh, um, I can see it are happening. You, are you saying for me or for all of mixed martial arts? Can be for you, for anybody, whatever. Since you you've been able to pick like all kinds of stuff, you picked Sage losing, you picked an easy win for Demetrius Johnson, you picked all kinds of stuff. So you seem to know yourself and everybody else pretty well. Um. You know, I feel I feel that Conor McGregor is gonna take over the sport somehow, some way. Not necessarily sure how, but I feel like Conor McGregor is gonna have an even bigger impact on the sport as he does now. And uh, who knows? Maybe he will become a three division champ. Ooh, three division champ! That would be pretty wild. So we'll keep our eyes open. And uh, last thing before we let you go, Ray, did you have any shout outs, trainers, sponsors, whatever the anybody you want to thank? The floor is yours, man. Yeah, I just want to say a big shout-out to my, obviously, you know, always foremost, my team for getting me ready for this fight and also my previous fights, Fit and HB, you know, my coaches, Tom, Arlene, John Judy, and um, 
Also, thank you to my sponsors, Nutrisoma, uh, Trancani Construction and Law, and Damage Control Mouthguards. All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Ray. We always appreciate it. And best of luck against Scoggins this weekend. We'll definitely be rooting for you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. You have a terrific rest of your night. You too. All right. That was Ray, the Taz Mexican Devil Borg, stopping by the verbal submission. Uh, You take anything from that interview, Richard? Well, the, the biggest thing I know is that every time you ask him a question about the future, he always said the phrase, after I beat Scoggins. Like, like <laughs> that was a given. And, and with, yeah. you know, you didn't seem to expand too much on the visualization part of it, but you can tell that, you know, he is confident. He, he knows what he's going to do after he wins this fight. It's not even a possibility that he loses which is a great thing to see in a fighter. Yeah, I mean, he is oozing in confidence, and that's always a good thing. I mean, sometimes having that much confidence can just put you over the top against overwhelming odds. I mean, look at Conor McGregor. That guy believes in himself more than any other person believes in themselves in the world. And he goes out there and just smashes Jose Aldo, ends its 10-year undefeated streak in 13 seconds. So, you know what? More power to Ray if he's not even, like, back of his mind that he could lose this fight to Scoggins. And you know what? I think he probably wins convincingly as well, too. Absolutely agree. All right. Well, we've got about seven minutes. Uh, Jerry briefly called in, but uh, I didn't have a chance to unmute him yet, so... And he messaged me on Facebook and saying that he'll be back in a few. Um, he wanted me to ask Ray if he wore uh, the El Chapo. <laughs> oh, Jerry. You know who El Chapo is, right, Highway? Yes, yes, I do. I know who El Chapo is. He's the guy that uh, Conor McGregor takes all of his, uh, his uh, fashion sense from. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, now, is there any other stuff you wanted to talk about over these next uh, five minutes or so that we have before we get Neil on the line? Well, uh, I do want to talk about Johnny Hendricks versus Stephen Thompson. Uh, there we go. And what one thing that I've noticed within this fight, Johnny Hendricks left team takedown. So um, it's a, a mm-hmm. big, big, big change in camp for him. And I don't know, because he's been talking about how um, all, he, all he really needs to do to, you know, be a, a high-level mixed martial artist is have the feeling to work uh, his wrestling at, which he does at his, at his uh, old college, and, you know, someone to work his boxing with, which tells me is that he's not thinking about the transitional moment in, uh, in a fight. Um, I think... Stephen Thompson is going to go into this fight as uh, a huge underdog, as he should be. But, man, this could be a way for him to break out of the kind of, you know, top ten and get up there right in the mix um, with, with, like, Carlos Condit and those guys. Yeah, Stephen Thompson is not somebody you should be sleeping on. Um, Four-fight win streak, I believe, and a five-fight win streak, and... 
those last few wins have been incredibly impressive. I mean, you look at Robert Whitaker, Patrick Cote, and Jake Ellenberger all in a row. Uh, three, two, two of those were first-round knockouts. I mean, the guy has incredible ability to strike. I mean, his kicks are right out there with the best kicks in the entire sport, in my opinion. I mean, those those kicks he landed against Jake Ellenberger were unbelievable. I was there firsthand. I was because uh, that was the event right after UFC 189. So we're like, fuck it. If I'm already there for 189, let's go to the the tough finale the next day. So we went to that, and he freaking just murdered Jake Ellenberger. I mean, that was crazy. Those spinning kicks that he connected with. Guy's got and, um, super talent. There isn't a boxing coach in the world that's going to teach you how to dodge a uh, spinning hook kick from someone like uh, Wonderboy. Um, mm-hmm. I think if I were going to put money on that fight, uh, I would actually put, you know, I'd put it on um, Stephen Thompson because there'd be no money the other way around. Do you know what the the betting lines are for that one? I have no idea. haven't even started to look at it. If you would could guess, what would you guess the the current betting lines are? Um, probably uh, plus three fifty for Stephen Thompson. You are off by about fifty percent. Ooh, really? That close? One seventy five? Yeah, one eighty. One eighty. One eighty for Thompson yeah, I mean, minus minus two twenty for Hendricks. So I guess that, uh, the public a, believes that it sh- it should be closer as well. I, I think that line's probably going to move quite a bit as the uh, as people start betting. I think Hendricks is going to get a lot of action. Um, That's not you know, true, actually. Guess what, my boss Nick opened at minus three eighty five, and it's been nothing oh, but wow. drop. Wow, that is that is shocking. Maybe the uh, maybe the public uh, at least the betting public. Is uh, getting mm-hmm. uh, actually listening to what I say. <laughs> yeah, it went from 385 to 220, and it's continuing to drop. So there's not a lot of believers in Johnny Hendricks right now after his terrible weight cut that forced the cancellation of his fight against Woodley, and then an ugly performance. Although he still should have won when he lost the title against uh, Robbie Lawler, and then you know just a uh, wrestle fucking Matt Brown. So I think people are uh, not not impressed with Johnny Hendricks right now. Yeah, I mean, and I and I get it, and um, that's why I, I brought up the camp change. Like, wow, this is a really bad time to do that, Johnny. Um, you you really should stick with Team Takedown because they work pretty well for you. But uh, I think Stephen Thompson has a chance to to really shake up shake up the uh, welterweight division in a huge way. Mhm. Man, so. Whew. All right. Well, I'm actually going to go get Neil Melanson on the line. He texted me back like two minutes ago saying he's ready whenever. So might as well bring him on now. Uh, a minute early. So while I do that, let me see if Jerry's called back in. He has not. So uh, if there's anything else you want to talk about in the meantime, uh, the floor is yours. So, but I'll try to make sure this is a, a quick that I'm gone. So take it away, Richard. 
Well, um, there was a couple other uh, other good fights on that Fox Sports 1 card, uh, you know, Fight Night 82. One I'm really excited to see, um, though, is uh, Joseph Benavidez versus uh, Fun Size. Uh, that's going to be a really, really good fight. Uh, I think that probably loses it, um, just because Joseph Benavidez is a beast for everybody that doesn't hold a title. Um, but... Um, it's going to be a good test for him. Even if he loses, nobody's going to really hold it against him. Um, and it's a, just a great, fun flyweight fight, which uh, I, I love watching flyweight fights, so it must be great to see. And let's see if Ryan's back yet. I don't believe so. Um, another great fight from that uh, UFC card coming up. Oh, you're back, uh, Brian? I am back. That was quick, right? I told you. I promised. All right. Well, without further ado, we'll bring in our final guest for the evening. He was in Anthony Rumble Johnson's corner last night. He's the grappling coach over at uh, the Black Zillions, one of the best trainers out there in the world, and one of our favorite guests, Neil Melanson. Welcome back to the Verbal Submission, Neil. Uh, Thanks. Good to be back. Oh, it's uh, an honor to have you back. We love talking to you, and I want to pick your brain about uh, what happened last night. We had Anthony Johnson against Ryan Bader, and I think everybody and their mother that said if Ryan Bader had a chance, he had to survive the first round against Anthony Johnson or get big takedowns and then just take away Johnson's strengths with his striking. And then what happens? Johnson, I mean, he he looked like he panicked a little bit. Uh, Bader did just dove at a leg immediately, and then Johnson stuffed it, gets full mount on him. Uh, It completely almost uh, neutralizes an arm lock attempt, a Kimura sweep, and then boom, full mount, and the fight's over the second he has a little bit of space to start dropping bombs. How You must have been a proud papa last night watching Anthony perform on the ground. Yeah, I was. I was. You know, we, we train a lot of, there's a lot of details, and um, in that little scramble um, that led to the mount that uh, mm-hmm. we work on a lot. So he was right at home. I I was talking through him, but I really didn't have to. He was he knew exactly what he was doing. And at the end, it was going to be um, AJ was he was so set up. He was either going to knock him out or he was going to choke him out. He, he was in the perfect spot to do both. And uh, he made the right decision. I thought it was a great choice. And either way, it was going to be the end. You can't, uh, you, you can't have AJ on top of you, like, especially if you're on a low shoulder, meaning your shoulder or your back's to the mat. If if you're there with AJ on top of you, you're he's he's a very powerful man, and he's comfortable with the positions down. And uh, he's really learning how to hold guys down, and that buys him a lot of time. To to bomb away. So well, it sounds tonight. like you're sounds like you're speaking from experience there. I hope he hasn't uh, done too much brain damage to you accidentally in training. <laughs> no, he's he always protects me on on those kind of things. But uh, mm-hmm. he's still fun to to go with live, you know, for sure. He's a gamer, and it, it sounds yeah. like he's just been real studious. To, to, to correct some of his faults in the past. I mean, especially after Cormier was able to, uh, you know, just grind him out a little bit and wear him down and get that submission. 
and it seems like he's you know really taken it uh, to heart to to really improve that part of his game. Like, is is that what you're seeing too? Yeah, I mean, I he, I mean, when they came and got me, like the they they came to hire me right after that loss against Cormier. You know, me and him had a talk, and to me, he sounded really serious, and he has been serious. I mean, he when we're training, he, he wants to do it perfect. He asks a lot of intelligent questions. He doesn't mind doing a bunch of drills, and um, he likes to go live. He likes to, you know, he's very easy to work with um, compared to a lot of other fighters. I, he definitely is going to keep building and getting better and better. He's still got a lot of tools that he's developed that he hasn't shown yet. So just going to keep strengthening his game. And um, I think it's just going to raise his confidence in the, everywhere, you know. So, like, we worked on a lot of wrestling for the Manoa fight because we just wanted the option to take him down. He did great on the bounces off the cage, and, and then he scored, like, three takedowns. And then this fight, we did a ton of defense, and we always do offense as well. Just every worst-case scenario, every best-case scenario, and prevent transitions. And that was it. Yeah, because that's something I've noticed over time is if you look back at some of his older fights where they went to the ground, it was almost all just pure power and athleticism on his part, and he looked very raw, like in the Vitor fight or uh, you know a couple other times that he went to the canvas, uh, you know, a few years ago, and then you look now like the Bader fight, it was so much more technical. So, uh, do you want to? Do you mind breaking down what he was able to do to be able to achieve mount? Because that really surprised me how quickly he was able to transition, especially off of a stuffed takedown attempt. It wasn't even like, you know, he got the takedown. So, you know, how was he able to get that mount so uh, easily almost? Well, uh, one thing you said earlier I wanted to say is one of the reasons why he's getting more technical, too, is because I I go live with them and I'm a, I'm a big heavyweight and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a strong kid, so he can't outpower me. He can't he can't do those types of moves on me. So he's he's forced to have to problem solve and use the techniques and stuff I show him. And that's the thing with guys, you know, they if they don't have that um, challenge, you know, if it's working for them in the gym. Why wouldn't they do it, you know, in a fight? But with mm-hmm. me and going with him, I think he also feels how heavy and how grimy he can be if he really wanted to. It's just working nice. Now, there was a lot that came into that transition, even from the shot, um, from the, the, the stuff and sprawl and, and turning, you know, behind him. You know, once once he would clear that position. He used a he used a you know a wrist ride. I'm big into wrist rides to crack him uh, crack him down to uh, his shoulder. And once you're on your like I said, once you're on your shoulder with Adrian on top, you're in trouble. But um, Bader went for you know a Kimura. I I don't even think he was really trying to get the submission. Um, I think he was just trying to create some type of scramble where he could maybe get out of there without getting damaged and. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, he got to a low shoulder, and AJ kept kept good hip pressure, and that's the thing. 
Bader could not switch his hips. If he could have switched his hips, he could have scrambled out. But, you know, Anthony knew what to do, and he just wouldn't let him happen. He, he chased the hips really well. And, you know, one thing we work on is don't try to climb up too soon. Just climb, one, climb the ladder like one rung at a time. And um, once he got the mount, the biggest thing that he did that kept kept um, Bader from, you know, shrimping out or any of it is when he hooked the he hooked mount, he controlled the bottom leg. And there's there's some there's a theory I I swear by Dominic Cruz and a lot of other like Randy used to swear by it. And is if a guy's on the ground, if you control his bottom leg, you control him. And if you watch as he climbed up, he actually hooks his leg under Bader's left leg. And from that position now with that hip pressure, he all he can do is belly out. He can't shrimp out to the side. He has to accept mount or he has to give up his back. Or if he stays on the side, he's still vulnerable. And that's kind of what happened. From there, you know, Bader could not adjust his hips to finish that lock. And plus, it's a tricky lock on, on AJ in the first place. He's such a strong guy. And then from there, he didn't rush. He worked his way. He kept him on a little shoulder and then took clean shots. It was just nice. It was nice to see him, you know, know the techniques, but it was also good to see him patient, you know. And that was the big thing. He's getting more mature. In the Manila fight, he actually hurt Manila early. And, you know, we got him to stay calm and, and just work, work your time. Because sometimes, you know, guys, you get a guy hurt and you do that big adrenaline rush to go for the finish, and then, but you don't finish them. And now you're you're like trying to catch your breath, and, and and once that adrenaline's gone, it's kind of a nightmare. So I see him maturing, and uh, Henry Hoops has been with him for five years. He sees it as well. So I just think the Boxillians, we've already made a lot of improvements, and we're going to keep getting better. But um, you know, I was brought on that team to help AJ win the world title, and that's my that's my goal. Well, he's number one contender again. He's definitely going to be fighting the winner of John Jones, uh, Daniel Cormier. And if that fight goes the same way it went the last time, then it's almost certain that it'll end up being John Jones versus Anthony Johnson, which is a fresh matchup. I think people would rather see that anyway, since they already saw uh, Johnson Cormier. Although maybe Johnson with you in his corner versus Cormier would go a lot different. Um, but uh, that being said, you know, how do you think – you know, hypothetically, because I don't want to, you know, get you on record saying, you know, you're certain that John Jones is going to smash Danny Cormier or something. But, you know, how do you think uh, Anthony matches up against uh, John Jones? Um, I, you know, I believe in my fighter. John Jones is a true champion. And, you know, that guy won't lose a fifth round. Like, he, he plays hard. Um He's a long fighter. He can you know, fight far outside. He can actually fight inside. He just knows how to utilize his wrestling. And he's just gifted. You know, he's like a true gifted person. And um, even with all that, I, I really think, of course, he can always win. Um, but I really believe that no one can really take punches from AJ. Mm -hmm. And in the fight, you're going to get hit, you know. So... I just want to believe in my fighter and just say, hey, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna find a way to win. We're gonna prepare, and we're gonna become a world champion together. So I'm obviously going with my fighter, but uh, mm-hmm. I can't say anything bad about John Jones. I think he's fabulous uh, at his job. He's he's great. Now. Uh, you brought up something interesting that you said the the choke was there or the knockout, and he went for the knockout. Now, Anthony has 21 wins in his career. I believe 20 uh, out of those 21 wins, he's got 15 knockouts and six decisions. There's a big zero there for the submissions, but you seem like you you think he's ready to be able to start pulling off submissions, potentially. How long do you think it is before he pulls one off in the octagon? It's just a matter of time for me, you know, because he does have, I keep my fighters, I keep everything kind of simple as far as submissions, but they're not, they're complex. They're, it's only, I only use a couple of submissions. It's the solid ones that aren't going to sacrifice positions. And, um, I have them master that and then, you know, master, you know, all these different type of opportunities for it to rise. And, AJ has has mastered um, in the time I've been there some of those things, and he's very confident in it. He he gets black belts out, he taps them out in practice all the time during going live go. So it's not like it would be a big shock to me or him if he got the submission victory because he's that improved, you know. Um, but I know the fans would be like you know a little shocked, but you know in a case where Rumble can punch. I mean, he's such a powerful man. You know, it, it's well, you know why why not just you know get your your win bonus. You know, knock him out and and don't don't even give the guy a chance. So it's mm-hmm. always going to be up to AJ what he feels is best during those moments. And just like that win, no matter what I coach or Henry Hoof coaches or any of that stuff, in the end, it's it's actually Rumble that's out there you got to put it together under pressure and, you know, with all the nerves and everything in front of the people and being main event to to make that happen. That's why I mean, the fighter deserves all the credit all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Now, I want to transition to a couple other things. I know you didn't just work with Anthony Johnson over the last uh, few months. You did uh, a lot of preparation with uh, your boy Dominic Cruz, as he went out and was able to regain the the title that he never truly lost against T.J. Dillashaw, and I was wondering, you know, what was that night like for you? Uh, you know, considering your uh, close relationship with Dom, it was amazing. It was heartbreaking because I couldn't be there for that. Um, I hadn't gotten incredibly sick at mm-hmm. the time, so it was hard not being there. I. Dominic's he's just awesome. I like I, I have a general care for him. I really I think he's a great person. I like how he's I mean, he can see through bullshit better than anyone I've ever met. Um <laughs> and as much as I've taught him a lot, I've also learned a lot on him, from him. He's he understands strikes into takedowns better than anyone in the game, including coaches. He just knows how to put together and he would blow my mind when I would coach him. Like he's so far ahead of that and it's just um like really next level stuff. And um 
I felt he fought a masterful fight. I knew he would win. I had no doubt whatsoever he would win. And uh, it's just it's just the right mindset. I mean, he has the best mindset for this sport. And he is a hard worker. I mean, when we were on the team together, he was the first one there and the last to leave. You know, when everybody's in the showers, he's still jumping rope. You know, the guy, he really works hard, and um, he knows he doesn't expect anything to be given to him. So, but he'll call you out on, on bullshit. He doesn't have any, uh, he has absolutely no filter. He's going to tell you what he's thinking. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't understand what the hell you're talking about, he's he's going to make you explain it to him. Like, he's, he's an interesting cat. He's so smart. I have a trick that I learned um, when you teach people backwards. It's very effective. It has its, its uses in a lot of different ways. But I do that with Dominic because he's so intelligent. He's always trying to move fast. He's always trying to move two or four steps ahead of himself because the way scrambles work. And by teaching him backwards, that was all. it was like the best way to teach him. And... Um, it opened his mind and how to develop these kind of things as well. So we would develop things all the way from the striking stance all the way to the ground. Uh, when he fought that um, Japanese fire, excuse me, I forget the guy's name right now. Uh, Mitsugaki. That, yeah, when we did that camp together, that fight literally went as per rehearsed. Like, very rarely do you get a fight that you say, okay, this is what's going to happen, this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to go. He's going to do this, we're going to do that, and then we're going to do this. And it went to the T. I mean, to the T. That's why Dominic, who's a big-time decision guy, just blasted him apart. And it was like a great bonding spirit for us, too, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think the world of him, I think he's, he's one of the greatest champions I, I don't see anyone beating him in the bantamweight division. I think for sure he's a Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. And when the time comes, I know this is probably way down the line, but considering how intelligent he is, do you think that he could be like one of the you know those all-time great coaches when the time comes for him be. to call it quits? Yeah. He, or do you think that it would be too heartbreaking for him to, to, work, to train other people instead of him being the guy well, that he, does it? He helps out with – the, the team all the time, that's the environment. Mm-hmm. Lions has a great environment. I, I loved being there. Absolutely loved it. I loved the guys, I loved the environment, and um, there's no, like, ego. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of gyms say, oh, we don't have an ego here, but there really is. They're all guys want to learn from everybody. And um, so, so Dominic helps out. The problem with him is that, when, and this is a problem with most athletes, is that other you know fighters don't all think a lot like they see things very different you know some guys just can't get past one step at a time you know and with Dominic he as he switched to a coach he he would have to get patient with those kind of things and um, learn to train people differently I'm sure he could do it I have no doubt he could do it. Uh, but if uh, if he had advanced fighters, he would he would be the best coach in the world. You know, he's really 
he's so knowledgeable. There's nothing he could you could work with him about that he if you asked him why, you know, because you have to get how you have to know why. And mm-hmm. a lot of people when they kinda learn, they want to learn just how to do it. I wanna know why to do it based on the scenario because I'll always figure out how to do it. And he's the same way and he likes people to learn that way, but a lot of fighters don't they just don't get that. The, the when you add the why you you overwhelm them, you know. But uh yeah, I just think he's he's got the best mind for MMA and the sport and uh I just don't really think people realize it. I think they just think, Oh, Dominic just fights this strange style and he uses it well and he he does fight a unique style and I don't think many people can mimic it. No, at least not well. But um yeah, I think you guys just really He's a real special champion. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this is a bit of a change of subject, but something that I found very interesting was somebody that you have a pretty good relationship with in uh, Vitor Belfort. You know, you, you show up to the Black Zillions, and then, you know, not too long after you arrive and you guys reunite, he's gone. So I was just wondering what kind of happened there. Um, That was just Vitor choosing... I mean, it really came down to money as well. I mean, that's always the basis of these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But um, when I went down there, of course, me and Vitor reconnected. And um, I started training him again. It was fun. It was fun. I like being around him. And he's he's another guy that's he's, he's really easy to teach because he's, he's really gifted, you know. And um, but what he wanted to do is he wanted to hire just me and Henry Hoost and not pay play the you know pay the team. He wanted to run his own thing out of his own gym because he's got a nice little gym for himself. And it's the environment he wants to keep. He wants to keep that mm-hmm. environment. And he's got the money to do it, so why not? But it was kind of a conflict um, for me because now, like, I'm getting, uh, you know, me and Henry, we're going to be to have to work at, Black Zillions and then have to go there and work him. It was just going to be crazy hard for us. It was just going to be ridiculously hard. I mean, you're you're we'd be literally on the mat training all, all day because mm-hmm. I work I work my butt off as it is. It's just too much. We we weren't able to do it. And since him and Victor um, and Glenn couldn't come to terms on how whatever it was going to go, um, I wasn't able to train him and his camp but it had nothing to do with like me or anything like that you know, he wanted me to run his camp you know and I I would have loved to help him I would have loved to help him but uh, mm-hmm. I, I got a feeling we'll work together again I, I got a feeling he'll he'll be back but you know he had a nice win and uh, he's not a bad guy and Man, he's from the original old all-star group, you know, the old UFC group. That mm-hmm. guy's still going. He's still going, and he's still like a top contender. It's really, it's really bizarre. I mean, he's he's special. Yeah. yeah, he definitely is. He's been performing extremely well. Now, um, one thing I definitely gotta ask you about: my co-host Jerry always likes to submit some uh, goofy questions, and he has some hypotheticals for you. He wants to know, it's probably never going to happen, but if Boris Griffin comes out of retirement 
and gets a fight against Anthony Johnson, who are you cornering? <laughs> uh, I'm cornering Rumble, even though uh, I'm friends with Forrest. But uh, it's my job, and I wouldn't. I would try to talk Forrest out of that fight as much as I could. <laughs> I agree. I don't think Forrest would do that. Uh, <laughs> Jerry's laughing. Uh, he uh, he's not able to be on the call because his reception's so bad. But he heard he heard you just mumble the second uh, yeah. <laughs> we even brought it up, and he goes, "Oh God!" <laughs> now uh, another one, extremely hypothetical, probably never going to happen. But uh, Kurt Angle is now working a little bit with Bellator. He's not actually fighting for them, but say he decides. You know what? Screw it. I can do what I want. I'm a man, and he wants to fight in Bellator. How do you think he would do if he did a, an MMA fight? Even though he's, I think, 46 years old. And considering you worked with Randy, and in the, and he was yeah. uh, in his late 40s. Yeah, Randy was special though, man. Like, with mm-hmm. his last fight in the UFC, you know, that was the first time I ever heard him say anything about like complaining about something being hurt and he was all he said was yeah my knees are feeling a little stiff today and I was just stared through him because meanwhile like I'm so jacked up and this guy is so much older than me and I'm like man you're just seeing I mean he was living the life like on and off season that's what was great about him but uh, you know I miss training there Randy man he was he was so much fun. He was a tough, great <laughs> guy. We used to get after it, man. But it was fun. And uh, as far as Kurt Angle goes, I mean, he was an amazing athlete and, of course, amazing wrestler. You know, it, it's a real big, crazy hypothetical because, you know, he's had a lot of injuries and personal mm-hmm. issues and his neck's really messed up. But I don't see him passing a medical to do it, but... If all that happened, it'd be depending who they put him against. Because as long as he's competitive, I'm sure you could take someone down and blast them. You know, it, it just really depends. But uh, good for him for trying to do something. You know. Mhm. Definitely. And uh, another hypothetical, but I know that you're uh, pretty good buddies with uh, Daniel Bryan, and I was wondering, yeah. has he spoken to you at all? Like, has Everybody wants to know if he's ever going to be able to come back. And I know he wants to come back bad. And the WWE's yeah. like not clearing him, the one doctor. And he's getting all these other second opinions. And they're all saying he can do it. Do you think he ever wrestles again in WWE? Uh, I, I talked to him maybe like two weeks ago. And um, he just sent me a, a copy of his new book, Yes. And... Um, he wants to wrestle, yeah, and he has passed a lot of the medicals, but there's some concerns, and, the, you know, with the WWE, I think, is very worried uh, about potential danger for for Brian, and um, it's whether or not they're going to kind of waive it and let's let him wrestle, but... He may never wrestle again. I mean, he really doesn't know what they're going to do. He's kind of just been waiting and trying to be patient. And 
hopes he gets to do it again. But for a young guy, he's taken, you know, they take a lot of abuse. And he was a great performer. If you watch, like, his old wrestling. Oh, yeah. Um, back in Ring Honor and all of that. I mean, he's really fantastic. And um, it's just, yeah, he's just not, he's just got problems, man. It's sad because he's my friend, you know. And uh, I know he struggled, but he's such a good dude. And I think if he wants to just do it, just let him. I mean, especially if the dogs are saying he's okay. But, you know, what's, the thing is, the public opinion about pro wrestling has not been very good because of the past. And, they're, you know, they're haunted by the Benoit thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they just don't want anything like that. You know, they want to, they keep a high drug testing policy, believe it or not. They do a lot of things. They they just really want to try to keep themselves, like, clean from the press and keep their image a little better. And so they're a little anal when it comes to things, you know. Yeah. yeah. The thing with Brian, he's had a lot of concussions. Oh, yeah. And a lot of concussions. And that's, I know those guys get them quite a bit. But uh, that gets dangerous, too. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with them. If he says he wants to wrestle, I really hope they let him um, because he's such a great entertainer. But uh, it's, it, I really don't know. I think the only people that know are, are the guys behind the cloak, I, I, the, the curtain. I really don't know, know who they're, who it is, but they need to, it's up to them. It's mm-hmm. up to them. Yeah. I, I know it's feeling I'll let them. Because I know it's got to be driving him up the wall seeing Austin Aries, AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura recently getting signed, and then you've got, you know, Prince Devitt, Kenta, uh, uh, AJ Styles, you know, just Samoa Joe, all these guys recently getting signed, and I'm sure he wants to get in the ring with these guys so bad right now. Yeah, because, you know, when he's in with good performance or performers he's worked with in the past and things, he can make it look amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. And the thing about it is, he was explaining to me WWE, their the way that their their wrestling is is a lot different. You know, it's so different that they don't yeah. give the matches a lot of time. And so, if they gave him like a twenty-five, you know, thirty-minute match with a good guy, a guy that can knows how to do that style of wrestling they could put on one of the best shows that's ever been done. They could put on literally one of the best wrestling shows ever. But they, it's just different in the WWE. It's its its just, um, there's less wrestling, you know. Um, it's its kind of like I always liked it back in the old days when they just wrestle more. <laughs> now it's just talking and, you know, BS. But that's, I guess that's what's selling. I mm-hmm. think when they went to G, you know, rating, um, they, that's when it just died for me because it's so cheesy. But <laughs> I think the fighters or I think the wrestlers, I mean, don't like it much at all. But, hey, it's the job, man. It's the job. Yep. All right. Well, uh, one last quick thing before we let you go. Um, you mentioned Brian sent you his book, uh, Yes, and I was wondering... Have you ever thought about doing a sequel to Mastering uh, Triangle Chokes or 
was that just too big of a pain in the ass? <laughs> oh, it was a pain in the ass. But mm-hmm. honestly, if I did a sequel, it would only be with Victory Bell. And Victory Bell is really not doing any more MMA and Jiu-Jitsu books, really. They're just not doing it. They're making so much money in the healthy diet and paleo books. I don't think they'll ever do another martial art book. So if if there was a good enough demand, I would love to do something other than try and go from the guard, you know. Um, but until then, I, I've been doing some videos um I signed a deal with Hayabusa where I'm filming techniques like two a month for their social media. And I'm going to increase it now. I'm just trying to get my, um, I have a website guy that's going to end up doing my website really well. And I'll create a library on there for fans that just want to get information. And uh, I like that kind of thing. You know, I, I like helping people. And I know that there's a lot of these good guys out there that in the middle of nowhere where they can't train with a good specialist and they just don't even know where to start or where to go or if they're doing something right. And um, and if I can show them something or give them some ideas or mainly teach them concepts, they could change the whole style of grappling. They could get a lot better. They could win, you know, um, gold medals. They can do a lot of different things. And... Of course, I want to be a, a part of something like that, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm making the time for Hayabusa, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and create a video log. But I don't know when that site's gonna be ready. I've been waiting on this photographer to finish the proper photos and all that stuff. So hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. All right, awesome. And uh, if and when uh, that stuff uh, launches. Got to have back on Twitter. We haven't seen a tweet from you in, I think, four years now. I think people are... Yeah, I, I there's never a, there's a demand. Twitter. There's a demand, Neil. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't like Twitter. I I hate social media. I do with Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. But I don't like Twitter. It's like, I just don't... Um, I, only, I don't know what to say most of the time because not that I'm a super private person, but I just don't really think people care what the hell I'm doing. You know, like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I, I see what people are posting and talking about and I'm scanning through and you know, they're my friends and I'm just laughing at them because I'm like, no one cares that you ate pizza today, man. You know, it's like, I, get, <laughs> I, I just don't understand the social media world. I just know it's important, you know, but uh, my manager is really good at getting me on to do that stuff, but, but most of the times, it's like pulling teeth for me to do it. I'm I'm just so busy. It's I don't I'm so behind on technology and stuff. I don't know. I'm living my own little fight world, and <laughs> I come out of the cave once in a while and realize that there's a new type of car on the road. You know, it's kind of that kind of thing. So, all right, understandable. Well, we've. Uh kept you on here long enough. Uh, Richard, do you have anything for Neil before we let him go? Uh, I do not, but uh, we are getting a lot of people uh, paying attention to what he's been saying, so it's a Mm -hmm. good thing. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Neil. We always sincerely appreciate you giving us uh, your time. And uh, do you have any last words, anything you want people to check out uh, from you or anything? Uh, The floor is yours. 
Um, just expect bigger and better things from the Team Jocko and the Black Saiyans. And uh, if you're serious about fighting and you want to be with some serious people that train hard and don't have an attitude, come on down. You know, um, got one of the best programs in the country. Other than that, mm-hmm. um, just keep looking for me for every video you can or whatever you want. And I I answer emails, so most of the time I always answer on Facebook or if you email me. So if you have questions on stuff, I'd be surprised. I'll, I answer a lot of them. So um, you can always contact me. All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Neil. It's always a treat, and you have a terrific rest of your night. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good talking to you guys. All right, our pleasure. All right, bye. Bye. All right, that was Black Zillion's grappling coach, Neil Melanson, stopping by the verbal submission, dropping some knowledge on Daniel Bryan, Dominic Cruz, Vitor Belfort, and, of course, Anthony Rumble Johnson, who was victorious last night in the first round of his UFC on Fox 18 main event. Now, Jerry, I don't know what your reception is like, but you were able to tune in uh, on your phone and listen for most of that interview. What did you think of our conversation with Neil? Okay, Jerry might be MIA. <laughs> yeah, uh, Richard, I, I think Richard, I had what, Oh, okay. So Jerry's yeah. back. Jerry's yeah, back. I, I, I don't like the fact that he would discourage uh, Forrest Griffin from from taking that <laughs> Rumble Johnson fight. Uh, we need to see that fight happen. Legend <laughs> against up and coming. It's a passing of the torch. It needs to happen. <laughs> I remember, because Neil is such good friends with Forrest. We had him on um, <laughs> the show. I think it was right after Forrest had ran from the cage after... Uh, his win, his win over Tito. He actually ran from the cage because he thought he lost because he was so embarrassed because he got dropped like three times. Um, and and we had Neil on the show talking about something else. We were talking about I think Chael Sonnen against Anderson Silva and just the preparation and all that. And and right after we we're done talking to Neil, you and me and I think Thappa just started trashing Forrest for like ten straight minutes. <laughs> and then Neil messages me out of the blue like two days later and he's like, Yo, I decided to listen to that episode to hear my appearance and I heard you guys just shitting all over Forrest <laughs> And he's like, And you were right about everything, man. That shit he needs to hear <laughs> You guys don't like it is <laughs> And I was like, oh, thank God. I thought he'd be pissed. <laughs> uh, it was funny, though. Yeah. And, uh, I, I loved his that, reaction. That, he was like, oh, jeez. He's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. so, he's, like, for, he's like, for Forrest's sake, I hope that fight doesn't happen. <laughs> he's probably right. Now, uh, Richard, what would you think of our little uh, chat with Neil? I know you always appreciate getting uh, some of his insight uh yeah i love hearing from coaches we should have asked him and it just dawned on me now what he thought of the ben rothwell submission because that would have been the guy to ask about it yeah well i'll I'll write it down maybe you know what screw it we'll just try to get ben rothwell on and talk to him about it (laughs) but yeah that's something we should have we should have thought about because i always just try to keep it relevant to stuff that these guys are that they're opinionated on, that they know. So I, I didn't even think about it. 
but yeah, that would have been a good guy to ask because you know there's not many people out there that are experts on coaching heavyweight MMA grappling like Neil Melanson. So that's about the ultimate guy. Maybe him or Comprito or something. That's about it. Um, all right. Well, uh, Jerry, I know uh, you weren't able to tune in for the whole show, but uh, I hope you enjoyed our little chat with Neil. Always. He's one of my favorites. Did you have any uh, thing you wanted to add from uh, last night's UFC event? I don't know if you had a chance to watch, but anything that uh, really stood out to you? Uh, Rothwell submitting Barnett. That was unexpected. That was, and then uh, I mean Anthony Rumble Johnson just dominating Bader was mm-hmm. was fantastic. I thought Ryan Bader just had a horrible game plan for that fight. I mean he. The the shot he took was just so far out and yeah single leg on a guy that big. What are you thinking? Um, but that's fine because he should have never been in the in the running for a title shot anyways. So back of the line, Bader. I'm happy that <laughs> happened. Um, and you know, look, Ben Rothwell, man, he's making a case for a title shot. So he's 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 putting on some exciting fights. He's come a long way since the IFL. So um, yeah, good for him. Yeah, I'm super impressed with with Rothwell as well. So, all right, uh, is there any last things that you want to go over before we call it a show? Because usually we only go about ninety minutes. No, I'm I'm good. I think we uh, we covered the card pretty well and uh, mm-hmm. the upcoming fights pretty well. So, I'm happy with it. All right, now Jerry, is there anything you would like our listeners to check out? Anything that you saw in the last couple of days that you're like, you know what, the people need to need to see this. Uh, billions on Showtime. I thought that show was pretty good. I've watched the first two episodes. I'm hooked. Um, it just got picked up for a second season. Check that out. All right. What about you, Richard? Uh, just check out Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, I'm. I absolutely love that show. I think it's hilarious. No, Andy Samberg. It, it's <laughs> not too much Andy Samberg though. Like they they tone him down just enough. And you've got Terry Crews on there, who's hilarious, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of that show. And I don't like Andy Samberg in, like, anything, but uh, I, I love the show. You love him. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I do need to check that show out. Like, I, I completely assumed it was going to be canceled mid-season of its first season, and it's just chugged along. So it's about time I at least saw what, what was going on over there. And for me, I don't want anybody to check out a show – uh, there's enough stuff out there for people to, to look at. But I say go look up uh, TMZ's pictures that uh, they leaked of Rhonda doing some body paint pictures for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. I'm sure uh, you'll enjoy those, especially Jerry. Already seen him. Of course. <laughs> that does not surprise me one iota. All right, so... I think that'll do it for uh, our show today. So huge thank you to Ray Borg and Neil Melanson for stopping by and dropping some knowledge. And, of course, we will not have a show next week. It's the Super Bowl. We always skip that one. And I believe, let me see, we will not have a show next week, and we will not have a show on February 21st either because that's UFC Fight Night 83. So so we'll have a show uh on the 14th only uh, over the next three weeks. 
But we will be back on February 14th, so make sure to tune in that time, 6.30 p.m. Sunday night. And uh, I think that'll just about do it. So uh, what time is it, Richard? It is code angle time. Baby.